0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Atlanta Business Radio, spotlighting
1: the city's best businesses and the people who lead them.
0: Welcome to this very special edition of Atlanta Business Radio. Stone Peyton Lee Cantor here with you this morning. Lee, this is our first, our inaugural episode of GWBC Radio. The Greater Women's Business Council has... uh, gratefully decided to partner up with us to support and celebrate some of these fine entrepreneurs and business people out in the community. I have so been looking forward to this. First up on the episode, let's get started and introduce, please join me in welcoming to the broadcast with Greater Women's Business Council, Ms. Roz Lewis. How are you?
1: Good morning. Good morning, Lee and Stone. I'm so excited to be here this morning with you all on this inaugural show. So thank you so much. Um, This is going to be great having a conversation about how to grow your business. So I'm very excited to be here. Hopefully, I can just talk a little bit about who the sure, Greater Women's yeah. Business Council
2: is. Right. Let's Before we get too far into things, let's talk a little bit about the mission and the purpose for Greater uh, Women's Business Council. Tell us what you guys are doing every day.
1: Well, the Greater Women's Business Council is a regional partner organization of the Women's Business Enterprise National Council. Now, that's a mouthful. So we're going to say <laughs> GWBC and WEBANK, okay. W-B-E-N-C and what we do is we certify women businesses for major corporations such as one of our guests is here today and also for the government and the purpose of that is to provide procurement opportunities For those corporations' spend goals. So they have diversity spend goals to do business with small, minority, and women owned businesses. And our organization, what we do is vet them to make sure they are who they say they are.
2: And also, you're the bridge to help connect them with these organizations to help them do business with these larger enterprises that maybe they would have a difficult time kind of working with if they were
1: out there just knocking on the door themselves. Exactly. We actually provide networking opportunities for them and some education development as well for our women businesses that are certified with us. Um, As a matter of fact, I'll talk about a little bit later in the show of an event, a major event that we have coming up in August that hopefully your listening audience will attend. And that focus is on connecting our women businesses With major corporations. Now, how did you get involved with the organization? Well, I've been involved with the Greater Women's Business Council since its inception. Delta Airlines and UPS were the founders of this organization. And this started back in 2000. So we're actually coming up on 20 years. Right, of certifying women businesses. And today we have over a 1,000 women businesses in our region. We cover the states of Georgia, North, and South Carolina. And we are supported by a host of committees as well as a dynamic board of directors.
2: Now, this was an example where the enterprise-level organization said, you know what, we want to be doing more business with women and minorities and these underserved groups, And they said, let's figure out a way that we can do that. So they invested resources, time, and people into this in order to create this kind of a network where you become that kind of matchmaker for this.
1: Exactly. And you're absolutely right. And, you know, and one thing I always tell women businesses, you know, if you want to grow up, you need to show up, mm-hmm. you know. So it's so <laughs> important, right. yes, that they show up to these events um, because those corporations who have representatives are taking the time out because they do want to meet you. They want to build a relationship with you because they do have procurement opportunities, you know, that you may be the perfect fit for them as a supplier. Now, uh, having come from the,
2: the large company uh, kind of background to now working with a lot of smaller companies, do you have any uh, good stories to tell of rewarding opportunities where you helped maybe a small uh, organization grow and once they got in there and showed how good they are?
1: You know, there are numerous um, success stories that have taken place, you know, with our women businesses. You know, I think part of our mission, though, is to be the connector. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we bring you to the dance. But you, 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 gotta, you gotta, you gotta show up and do the work. You right? gotta show up and do the work. Right. And so you come with your skill sets. You come with your competitive edge as to why that company should, so, you know, select you. Right. You know, but there are times too, where I would say success stories have occurred where corporations have reached out to us to identify, you know, women businesses to participate and they were successful in securing that contract. And that's what's exciting. More importantly, we hear information back. One most recently, I would tell you, believe it or not, was the Super Bowl mm-hmm. that was just here in Atlanta. And several of our women businesses receive contracts as a result of being engaged with our organization.
2: And then that would be kind of a platform. They would be have a difficult time just calling up the Super Bowl and say, hey, I could do that kind of work. Right. That would be tough for them to pull off.
1: Exactly because literally their selection process was they literally came to the organizations this you know in right. order to identify certified women businesses because again they wanted to make sure that they were who they say they were and that they were a part that we had validated and vetted these companies as women owned businesses as they also reached out you know to the other organ- um uh, diverse organizations as well that participated but we are very excited about the number of women- Women businesses that receive contracts as a result of the Super Bowl. And it has extended beyond this one. Some of them, success story has extended. That's now working on the next Super Bowl,
2: right? Because once they're in, then they show they did a good job. So why don't they trust them again?
1: It's exactly
2: now part of the purpose of this show and the mission of this show is to kind of share these stories right to show the from both sides of the table from the um, maybe the entrepreneurial women that have the smaller businesses with the corporate large enterprise businesses and show how they work together.
1: Exactly. You know, and give visibility. You know, the one thing that I commend you and Lee, uh, Lee, you and Stone on is the fact that you've built this platform to show positive news about what's happening In the entrepreneurial world, what's happening with small businesses, what's happening with medium sized businesses where the media really doesn't, you know, give that type of, you know, notoriety of visibility. And I think our communities need to hear what our businesses are doing and what positive impact they're making in their communities.
2: Right, and this is the stuff that's happening every day. These small businesses are grinding and trying and working as hard as they can every day. And it's disheartening to hear kind of an overarching theme in traditional media of all this negativity and, the, and that big companies are greedy and exploiting when in reality, they're very generous and they are helping and people are trying to just make it work. I mean, that's what most people are doing every day is just trying to make things good and work.
1: Exactly, and think about the fact how the impact they're having from an economic standpoint, right. you know, they're hiring people, but both. you know, when sides. you look at the numbers, right. right. On both sides, you're taking those who have the entrepreneur spirit and ideas. And then they're coupling that with also what I call giving back, mm-hmm. right. Engaging, making sure that, They're creating a sustainable environment because that's one thing we need to give credit to our small businesses is the sustainability that they're creating. And also more important, creating a consumer base, helping corporations to bring their products and services to market. All of that is so key and valuable. And more, I think, more stories need to be shared on a national basis as well, global and on the major networks about how the good work, the small businesses are doing. You're right. right.
2: And it's a symbiotic relationship. These large companies aren't doing a favor to the small company because the large company, this is where they learn these new things and they get to work with a different group of people that maybe they wouldn't be on their radar. And this, and the small people get to benefit by the generosity and the opportunity that these large organizations provide. So it's very symbiotic. This isn't like a large company doing a favor or giving charity to a small company. They they both win in this.
1: Oh, absolutely. And, and think about through the procurement process, small businesses, you know, please remember the fact that they still have to meet the criteria, right? They got to you know, be able they, to do it. They've got to mm-hmm. be able to do it, you know, because once again, that corporate's representation is online. Those corporations are obligated to their stakeholders, mm-hmm. which in turn is kind of a, re- a reciprocity that takes place, right? Right. Because the small businesses are also consumers right. of the products that they are delivering or selling. However, you know, they still have to meet all the checklists on that decision matrix when they are presenting with those buyers or strategic sourcing managers.
2: And then this is kudos to GWBC for being this kind of matchmaker, this bridge between the two groups, because you're doing a service to the large organizations by vetting the smaller ones and you're coaching up and helping the small ones have an opportunity with the, to grow from the larger ones. So you're a linchpin in this, in this relationship. So, uh, you should be commended for
1: that. Well, thank you. And you know what? This is something that we feel is our mission, you know, to empower mm-hmm. our um, businesses. And our businesses, believe it or not, range from startup. Believe it or not up to one billion dollars. So we have some very large right. women-owned businesses as well, who have major contracts with major corporations. Well, let's get into it. Who'd you bring in today? Wow, well, I'm so excited that our first guest on our show um, is Deb Mackins, and she is the chair of the board of directors for the Greater Women's Business Council. But her day job is that she works for the Southern Company. And she's in the supplier diversity arena with the Southern Company. And we also have Monique Hahnemann of ISHR Group and Contender Brands. So you notice I'm naming two different companies. So she's a busy lady. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't include the books that she has (laughs) written as well. So it's very excited to have both of them as our guests this morning.
2: All right, so let's kick it off with Deb. Welcome Deb. Good morning. So now, um, Roz mentioned that you're the chair with the GWBC, but you have a day job at the Southern Company. Um, How did you get involved with the GWBC? Actually, I've um, been involved with GWBC,
3: I believe, since 2007. Um, It was actually with uh, a prior company, and I've always had a passion for small business, Being an advocate, I've always been in a um, procurement role, and I felt that being in that role, I could be the person to bridge my company to diverse businesses, provide information, provide resources, help them understand the cultures and the subcultures, um, provide opportunities for development. So, I've been involved with GWBC and small business
2: for a very long time. And do and you enjoy the part where you're kind of, you, you have to coach them up sometimes, right? Because the small business thinks like, oh, I'm just going to call them up and they're going to love me and my work and I can jump right in. But a lot of times they got to change the way they're doing things in order to serve you properly, right? Absolutely. And that's the really cool thing
3: about the supplier diversity role uh, being a advocate being a bridge helping companies to understand you have to really have a value proposition as to why we should work with you Mm -hmm. providing materials and services right because you have a lot of competitors and not only are your competitors in Georgia the southeast United States it's global, really. So what's your value proposition? As a matter of fact, when I first met Roz Lewis in 2007, that's the first thing she said to me. Companies, corporates, you have to understand what's the value proposition. So as you move forward in your career, make sure you always have a uh, solid
2: value proposition for whatever you do. And I think that's great advice. Now, when you're working with these companies, um, how important is the kind of the mentor-mentee role and these kind of um, sharing the information and giving them kind of insider information to help them be more successful? Do you spend a lot of time in that? Absolutely. And with Southern Company, we actually have a very
3: robust development program I believe we have five different programs. Uh, we also provide scholarships to Tuck and we partner, we partner the experts, the subject matter experts within Southern Company uh, and the business community with entrepreneurs. And again, I'm going to go back to understanding cultures, subcultures, value proposition, Um, What type of innovation can you bring to Southern Company or any company? What sets you apart from your competitor? Why should we do business with you? So it's just helping them to really avoid some landmines, I would say, because within Southern Company supplier diversity, we work so closely with our business units. What's important to my business unit may not necessarily be important to someone else, Uh, And because Southern Company uh, has a footprint now across the United States, and we serve 9 million customers throughout the United States, it's very important to build those relationships within the company and who better than your mentor to help you to navigate, to be successful. You know, one of the things that we always say at Southern Company, it may take uh, a while for us to court. Because we want to get to know you and you want to get to know us. But once we court and it's successful, we'll probably have a very long marriage and a very successful marriage. So that's the role of supplier diversity to help you to to get there. It's not always about a contract. Sometimes it's just about the development. We can provide resources and tools to help you to be a successful business owner. So you may do business with us or you may never be, uh, you know, working uh, in the capacity of having a a master service agreement or contract with Southern Company. But through our development programs, you'll be a better business owner.
1: So, Deb, talk a little bit about you know, the fact that as chair of the board of a certifying organization, how important is certification, you know, for these suppliers? Certification is so important.
3: It really, you know, whether you're a minority business or woman-owned business, it helps corporates to understand that you are who you say you are. So it gives more credibility. Uh, You're the person that you're the owner, but you're also in control. That's one thing. The other thing is uh, Southern Company, many other companies, we're prime contractors to the federal government and we have internal s- supplier diversity goals. So, you know, we want to um, make sure that you are who you say that you are so that when we report to the federal government. Um, you are properly classified. So certification is, is very important. The other aspect of, of certification, certification doesn't guarantee a contract, but it could prevent you from getting a contract if that makes sense. Um, so uh, I actually, I talked to uh, a WBE. She had a different reason um, for actually getting her certification. Through her industry, she was a member of an organization that required certification. So for her to even be a member of an organization in her industry, she she had to go through it. So there are so many pluses. um, And when you think about what the value is, the ROI, it's a very small um, financial investment In yourself and in your company, but it can do some really great things for you. And finally, I'd also say with certification, get involved. I think you talked about that engagement. So yes, yes, get involved. Come out to GWBC events. We have four signature events. We have some events coming up in end of. August, I believe, it's the Pop Marketplace and the Wave Golf Tournament. So come out and get engaged with corporates, other WBEs. That's what certification can do. It it can really change your company in big ways.
2: Now, how does it work? Like, walk me through. I'm a, a, a woman business, and I'm out in the marketplace so the first thing I do is I join and get certified and blessed by GWBC. Like, what's the order of things? How does it work?
1: Well, you know, the certification process is actually arduous. You know, there's a lot of paperwork that we're right. asking. This isn't like a five-minute No, survey, this is it's it? actually a 60 to 90-day process. Okay. Uh-huh. And this is under WeBank. WeBank has a, a world-class certification process. Um, and... What it includes is asking for information like your tax returns. We're asking for the history of your business, how your business is structured, or your LLC, which you should have an operating agreement. If not, if you're a major corporation, then, you know, what does your bylaws look like? We're evaluating all of this information because that information is going to legally say that that woman, in fact, owns that business. Mm -hmm. She's in charge. And yes, you can have males within your business, even as partners within your business, but they can't have the majority. You need to be at least 51% owned, operated, and controlled. And we do 100% site visits. Regardless of whether or not we're going to certify you, we still have to go out and visit you, which is another two to three hour process of asking you questions about the business and your ownership. Once you receive that certificate, you recertify every year. Now it's not as, you know, um, hard or you know, requiring as much. Because um, m- now you're just updating, right? You're All you're doing, planning. right, is just updating information. But I'll tell you, you know, people say, "Why do you do it every year?" Because business change, right. things change as you grow, as you're scaling your business. You know, you may need to bring on additional investors. First and foremost, we want you to be successful as a business first and foremost as a women owned business we want to make sure you still control and operate that business right so that's the reason for the recertification every year now we don't do the site visit every year but it's it's amazing this group of women businesses they also um, self monitor each other because you can challenge a mm-hmm. business um, I will tell you in the in my previous experience none of my challenges have been overturned that have been submitted to me because people just didn't know the details of what was going on right. at business because unfortunately the perception especially in construction for example why isn't a woman business out there you know if she owns it well no she doesn't need to be out there with the jackhammer right. she doesn't <laughs> right. need to be out there you know slinging concrete or anything no she's busily working on the strategy of that business and hiring the best people to be able to do that for her.
2: So now they're certified and then um, how does Deb, like now Deb, once they're certified, then they get on your radar? Like if you need a certain service, like how do you, they even become aware of you? And like, how do you become aware of them once they're certified?
3: Several ways. There are, actually, WeBank has a database that some corporate Member like uh, Southern Company can go into looking for specific services or materials, and it's you can complete a search so you can find WBEs from that. It could be through engagement, such as the pop marketplace, or those networking events that you described. Right? That's correct. Um, it could be a committee. I've worked on several committees with GWBC and met numerous companies that. You started that relationship. You work side
2: by side. You like each other. You trust each other. Hey, perhaps we can do business together. And that accelerates, right? That's that's not just hoping you pick them out of a database. This is building a, a personal relationship. Absolutely. Right?
3: And the thing is we know you're certified, but the other thing at Southern company, we still have to vet you. We have um, certain criteria that we look for. So it's great when you're certified, we vet you, you have the products and services we need. You have a solid business. Um, those are just a few ways that we meet companies and it's, it could be by referral. And, um but, whether it's
2: GWBC, WeBank, those are wonderful avenues for meeting new companies. Now, what are some of the challenges you've seen that uh, women businesses have had to overcome over the years?
3: One of the challenges, and it may not be specific to women, it could be women, minority, small business, any company, many procurement um, organizations, they're consolidating their supply base. So when you take a a number of contractors or suppliers, and you have to look at the best of the best, you know, again, what's your value proposition? How do you stay competitive? How do you stay competitive with corporate um, initiatives that are consolidating supply bases? Sometimes there are other opportunities that I think small business, women businesses should be mindful of, there could be tier two opportunities. I tell companies many times, green is green. So whether you're a prime contractor to Southern company or a subcontractor, that's a great thing. So that, um, how can you remain a prime contractor to a Southern company or any other corporate is that value proposition. I met a company several years ago that had materials that they could provide to Southern Company, but we had some master service agreements that, you know, why should we do business with you? That That's the thing that I kept saying to that company. As we talked, I found out they had some innovation that we had not thought of. They actually answered some um, they had some um, they had some innovation that answered some problems that we didn't know that we had. so that's how you stay competitive. Innovation being a source to answer problems to corporates
2: don't even realize they have those are the types of things that companies should think of and then, like you said, not always you don't always have to aim to be the prime you can work with the prime and be a vendor for them. And like you said, green is green. You still win. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would like to share though, um,
3: with our industry, it's historically been male dominated. However, we have a lot of very large WBEs that have grown with us over the years. They've built um, they've scaled up. They've started it with with one operating company. And now there were several. So I don't think that women should be intimidated when going after contracts or subcontracts in areas that are usually historically male dominated. If you have great materials, products, services, you bring innovation um, Perhaps there's some cost savings. There's just just so many different things. Don't be intimidated to go for a contract or subcontract in a male-dominated area. Know your truth. Know who you are. Bring the quality, the service, the competitive pricing, and you will win those
2: contracts and be successful. And is that a lesson also for uh, some of these business owners is you don't always have to be the lowest price, right? that that's kind of a trap. They People think that they got to immediately lower the price. And you're just looking for someone that's reliable, good, great at what they do, good service. Those are important as well. Yes. And in the
3: procurement world, we call that best value.
1: So absolutely. And I think that, you know, is one of the things that is also key, you know, in communicating the fact that you really need to pay attention to what's important, in that request for proposal, mm-hmm. you know what are the high percentage that they're focused on? And you're right, it's not always costs, you know because low cost does not necessarily mean best quality, right and so you want to make sure that you're providing that and And the other thing I would say is to answer any of the requests for proposals that you get, even if the answer is no, that you cannot participate right now by all means do that you know because one of the things you want to remain is top of mind with these corporations you want to stay on their radar you want to be the one that not that they necessarily have to go to a database all the time but they know you because of the experience that they've had of engaging with you
2: now are you seeing more and more women kind of um, rise up in this like more are you seeing more women business owners since you began GWBC are you seeing more women kind of Go to higher levels in, in enterprise?
1: Well, you know, is. You know, good question, because um, if you think about just the number of women businesses in this country, you know, we're almost at 12 million women businesses in this country, you know, who are generating revenues of one point seven trillion dollars. That's becoming know? real money. Right? Yeah, that's real money. <laughs> you know, you think about that, you know, that's the, the GDP of some countries. Right. Right. So so they're generating a lot of money, you know, and so they're, you know, a lot of. Uh, one of the fastest growing segments, you know, they grew 58 percent since 2007 um, compared to overall businesses that only grew 12 percent. So when you look at the impact that women businesses have, um, it's phenomenal and it's great. What has to happen is more of a voice. Mm-hmm. There has to be more information and communication about the success that women businesses, you know, are generating. Uh, you know, the example I love to use is the fact that just in our region alone, our women businesses are generating over 51,000 jobs just in the state of Georgia, North and South Carolina. And that's just with the thousand Certified women businesses that we have, because this, you know, really it's over about 600,000 women businesses just in this region, because this region has been one of the fastest growing regions for women businesses. So that in itself should, you would think, elevate, have more visibility, but for some reason it has not. And so that's another reason why we're so excited to partner with you all on the show is because to give that visibility to the number of successful women businesses that are in our region, but also in the country, you know, to think about it, and the corporate partners who get it and understand the value of doing business. Right,
2: and it seems like a no-brainer in that here's somebody or an organization that's trying to help me grow. Like once I I get involved, like uh, Deb was saying, and not just put my name in and pay my dues, but actually get involved and, and show up and participate, all of a sudden, these doors are opening that I would never have had access to if I was on my own. I'd be, you know, uh, scratching and clawing my way up. When I can just go to these meetings and meet these people, build the relationship, and over time, if I continue to do good work, some of that's going to come my way.
1: Right. So there's Cinderella stories, what we call Cinderella contracts. You know, you meet someone, and within, you know, a few weeks or whatever, the timing is just right that you may be awarded that contract. Or to your point, is building that relationship. And it could take two years. It could take three years. But that's business. I mean,
2: that's what people do every day is you're out there grinding every day, waiting for your opportunity, but you have to do good work. You have to show up. And it's great that there's an organization like this that helps
1: kind of. Accelerate my growth. But, and you know, the thing of it is, I want you to know we also partner. You know, the Greater Women's Business Council, we partner with the Small Business Administration, you know, as well in our region. And they have tools and resources. I can't say enough to say, and they're F R E E. Free right. <laughs> resources to help you grow and scale your business, and build at least that foundation that you need to make sure you're structured as you should be structured. And small business development centers, you know, they're usually um, headquartered at universities, right? So there's no reason um, that anyone who's looking at starting a business or who is currently in business, not reaching out and tapping into those resources, because they're very valuable for you in helping you grow your business.
2: And that's, I think, a flaw, I think, in a lot of small businesses, especially is they're afraid to ask for help, right? That, you you know, they think that, look, I'm the CEO, I have to know everything. People are looking at me to know everything. And there's so many generous organizations and people out there that want to help. And want you to succeed if you just ask. They don't even know.
1: Well, and you know, um, there's a saying that sticks with me by J. Paul Getty. You're either on a train going 60 miles an hour, or you're standing on the sidelines watching a train go by 60 miles an hour. (laughs) So, which one do you want to be? Right. So, you need to get on that train of Assistance that's out there, you know, for you, you know, even at Georgia Tech, there's PTAC, the Procurement Technical Assistance Center, another opportunity of resources that are available for people to want to, if they're serious as as far as growing their business and becoming an entrepreneur. And that's at all walks of life. You know, regardless of what the industry you're in, regardless of the product or service that you're selling, if you want to be successful in future think how you're going to become another Home Depot. You remember, you know, think right. about how they started out. Just think about how some of the most corporations started out as small businesses. Right, exactly. Right? And they You don't start at the top. right. <laughs>
2: So and and the, and if you just want your business to be a lifestyle business for you and your family, if that's the work life balance you want, go for that. I mean, the, it's your choice in this. That's yep. the beauty of this.
1: Lee, do you know there are over a million mompreneurs out there? A million, a million mompreneurs, and these are women who, to your point, lifestyle business. Working from home because they're taking care of their families and raising their families. So yes, there is enough room, as we for say, everybody. in the sandbox for everybody. <laughs> so now, Deb, I wanted to ask you about this kind of category
2: of supplier diversity. Is this a new thing? Has this been always uh, been a thing? Like where organizations are are creating those kind of departments. Well, I'm going to speak on behalf of Southern Company and Georgia
3: Power specifically. We just celebrated last year our 40th anniversary for supplier diversity, which um, within our industry, the electrical utilities, Georgia Power was the first electrical utility to have a supplier diversity program. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. Supplier diversity is not new. Um, There are many companies in the South that have supplier diversity organizations as well as across the country. And I think that for any entrepreneur, if you have um, any interest to find out what companies uh, or a specific company that you're targeting to do business with – start by going to their website to see if there's some information about supplier diversity and some of their efforts with small um, business. It's very interesting. There are several uh, women business owners or enterprises that that I engage with on a regular basis. They have supplier diversity programs as well. So diverse suppliers are actually embracing that um, that initiative It's not just the large corporations that are doing it. Um, but not every major corporation has a supplier diversity
2: program. And then if you were kind of talking to these organizations that don't have it, what would be some of the compelling reasons to invest time and resources into creating one?
3: Well, now this is my personal Your opinion, personal opinion. <laughs> if you want to get the same old thing you know, the same products, the same services, the same perspective, keep doing what you're doing. But if you want to bring some innovation um, and I think supplier diversity, uh, engaging with women, minority, veteran, bringing in small business, it's a good, good way to do that through supplier diversity. Um So that's one of the things. um, I think the value proposition is just really helping your business as a corporate to ensure that you have suppliers that are competitive. And one way to do that is through bringing new suppliers in. So I'm going to just give you an example. If your supply base for a widget consists of, I don't know, 10 suppliers and you continue year after year issuing those contracts to those same 10 suppliers and you're not opening opportunities to small business, diverse business, how do you know that you're getting the most competitive pricing? How do you know that you're the customer, um, the favorite customer that, you know, uh, all the innovation and and the favorite pricing is coming to you. So I think supplier diversity is a great um, avenue to bring in innovation,
2: competitive pricing, that type of thing. Because uh, innovation happens everywhere. And we're fortunate in America that we do have a very diverse population. And to just ignore big chunks of people, It doesn't make any sense. I mean, you're missing out. There's great things happening everywhere.
1: And you want your supplier base to mirror your customer base. Right. You know, that is something that's very key, you know, and important. And, you know, to Deb's point, you know, about the innovation, but also your diverse suppliers are going to bring um, the ability to be nimble. They're going to bring, you know, to be able, you know, it's not so much red tape, you right. know, from and, they're gonna <laughs> and they're going to be hungry and they're going to be right. They're also going to be hungry as well, but they also are using your product or service. So you're getting good focus feedback as well. And having them mm-hmm. is valuable because now they can help you improve that product or service right. and deliver it to the marketplace. And
2: they might be looking at it in a slightly different way that you didn't even think about. Exactly. I'd love to share a
3: success story if you don't sure, mind. Go ahead. Uh, one of our diverse suppliers uh, at Southern company actually met th- this company in 2012 and they were not successful um, in the bidding process at that time. However, they had an interest in establishing those relationships and being a better company, a better owner. And they actually participated in some of our mentoring and grew as a company, changed, kind of shored up some processes. In 2016, the same company that I met in 2012 called me and asked me, hey, Deb, I think it's time for this particular service to be rebid. Well, I had no idea. I checked and they were correct. Fast forward, 2017, they received their first master service agreement contract. Took five years, but they stayed in there. They hung in there. They were interested in their development. That company in 2017 grew from 40 employees to today, 85. All of their companies, or excuse me, all of their employees today have healthcare and benefits. That's something they were not able to provide before. Um, They actually opened another location. So this company, you know, staying in there, hanging in there, they had the wherewithal. They're growing, they're doing some great things. I wanted to give that story to you because one of the things that we're very passionate about and interested in doing at Southern Company is the community. This is a, one story of a company that more than doubled and now they're able to provide benefits to their employees. That's a success story. And I think that as corporate partners, you know, cause we work on the board, we I'd love for you to take a look at the uh, website for GWBC and see all of the board members. We have some directors that are very passionate, very committed both WBEs as well as corporates, but we're all doing these same things, providing opportunities in the community, helping small business become large business, helping them grow. And we're all committed and doing some great things. So I think that's really what it's all about. It's community providing jobs.
2: Now, if somebody wanted to learn more about your work at Southern Company and uh, like you said, what's the website of GWBC for the, so they can check that out and Southern Company if they want to get a hold of you?
3: Well, the website address is www.southerncompany.com and you click on suppliers and that takes you to a link for registration. Mm-hmm. So that's one way. Right. That's
2: a good way. And then the GWBC, what's the website for that? That's www.gwbc.biz. Well, thank you, Deb, for sharing your story today. Thank you. So thank who you. else you got with you today, Ross?
1: Well, we also have Monique Hahnemann and she's with Contender Brands as well as ISHR Group. And also I want to, you know, mention the fact that she's an author. She's an author of several books, even a children's book as well. But, You know, talking to her as a woman on business, obviously you wonder when does she sleep, right? (laughs) Trying to run two businesses. Writing books. There's a lot going on. Mm No, and writing books as well, you know, and coaching and you know, and a whole lot of other things that she does. So, you know, one of the things would be great is to kind of hear her story. All right. Go ahead, money. I sleep really well. (laughs) I
0: I do not move when I sleep. (laughs) Thank you, Roz. Uh, so yeah, so two companies, um, and you were talking about the arduous process of getting certified, and um, went through the first arduous process when I certified ISHR Group back in two thousand and six, and of course have been the recipient of the ongoing every year recertification, which yes is not as arduous and the site visits and all that. Um, and I'm currently in the midst of the arduous process to get Contender Brands certified. So so you
2: liked it so much, you decided to do it again.
0: That's my point, <laughs> right? This is such a valuable process per this whole conversation that it is valuable for, for both companies to have. And-, and Yes, um, passionate enough to come back and say, want to get I, uh, Contender Brands certified as Now, well.
2: to, for the person that's considering doing this and they see like, oh, this is going to be an arduous process, can you talk about kind of the thought process when you were weighing, should I do this or should I not do this? What were you thinking? And you're like, you know what, I'm going to do
0: this. Yeah, absolutely. Because I did think about it for a couple of years with, with Contender Brands. And it, it, the tipping point for me came when I realized that the people who want to see the WBE certification – had the potential to be um, our clients, right? So if, if we were only looking at, um, in the case of contento brands, retailers who didn't value the certification, then it's not important to get, but we, we tipped over to the other side of the equation where we do have the larger companies who value it, who have their supply diversity pages on their website to devs point. Once we tipped there, then we need, we knew we needed to get it. Then it became
2: a no brainer at that point. Then it's like, I have to do this in order to play. Yeah. I got to get this and, certification. Yeah.
0: And we, we joke about it being an arduous process and, and it is on the one hand, on the other hand, with all transparency, it took me just a, f- a full day, right. right? If you're organized and you you ch- go through that checklist of the documents that need, and you know Roz mentioned them, and then there's a lot, but if you're organized, it, like you, know, you have
2: this information, it, you it's have not, it. It's right. not like you're, you're not having creating to do research exactly. to, to find it. Yeah, exactly. So now tell us about the companies now that you're you're involved with.
0: Absolutely. So ISHR um, is the company I founded actually 20 years ago this year, which is years. unbelievable. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. Congratulations. Unbelievable. Uh, and so it's myself and two business partners. We're woman-owned and controlled. And we do executive assessment, executive development, executive coaching. So most of our clients tend to be those large corporate clients that do value, the WBE certification and look for it. And we also tend to work with a lot of private equity firms. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's um, ISHR. So we're a, a human capital services business. Um, total other side of the spectrum is Contender Brands, um, which I launched and co-founded with my husband uh, in 2016. And that all started with a couple of product ideas. Uh, one specifically that I started with for a portable ring cleaner. And I think a lot of people have ideas And we thought, oh, it'd be so cool to create this. Oh, we could go on Shark Tank. Oh, we should come up with this. But then nobody really does anything with that. And uh, we've taken um, Ringo and created it and prototyped it and patented it and trademarked it and manufactured it. And now we're distributing it. Um, And also a set of of get-to-know-you conversation starters. So that's a product development company. Very different than the... Services company of ISHR, and then that started as
2: kind of just kind of a wild idea. How long was it on the back burner before you said, you know, well, oh, great the- question? Mm-hmm. So
0: the ring idea actually um, started in late 09, early 2010, and I realized I was actually out on a business trip. I think I was at a Webent conference actually out in California. And my ring was dirty and I'm like, oh, this is horrible. I don't have anything to clean it with. Well, you can't travel with those jars of cleaning fluid. Right. So literally came back from that trip and started researching whether there were these portable TSA friendly. At that point, we weren't using the word TSA, but, you know, portable sort of ring cleaners that um, were on the market. Put a little business plan together and then did nothing. So to your question of how long did it sit on the back burner, it sat on the back burner for six, seven years. And wow. then literally a couple of years ago was actually back in California on a trip and resurfaced it in my mind. And at that point, we said, you know what?
2: Let's go for it.
0: Let's go for it. And came back from that trip, contacted the prototype designers. And we've been hanging on to that train by our fingernails ever since.
2: <laughs> so now... Um at some point you decide to get involved with the GWBC and that certification was the catalyst or were you involved with GWBC before kind of saying, I'm going to be. So certified? I,
0: so first heard about um, the, the value of certification again, back in 2006 when I first got certified um, with ISHR. And for me, it was the opportunity to have this network and they've talked about, that's very important. Um, but the educational opportunities, then the programming that they put on, in terms of sharing how you write a capability statement, how you, um, I, I can't even, it's just so many educational opportunities were, were so important. The the networking, the connections, the matchmakers, you know, Deb mentioned the Tuck program. I was able to go through the Tuck program, which is sort of a mini MBA that that WeBank um, sponsors. So it's just been such a great learning experience over the years.
2: So now when you started the uh, the company and then you're like, okay, Gonna get certified. The GWBC, I'm gonna go there, and I'm gonna learn. Did so you become an active member? Like I'm sure you were involved in lots of organizations. Like, is this one of the yes. ones you look forward to going to Absolutely. Is this one of the ones where you're like, you know what? I'm getting a lot of value out of this because yeah. there's a lot of organizations. There's a there. ton
0: of organizations and you've got to pick and choose. Right. Because right. if all you do is go to organizations then you're never right. working on or <laughs> in your networking. business. Yeah. You're I not, mean, it's great. Another night of networking. Right,
2: right. Networking, not working. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly.
0: No, I actually became very involved. And in fact, um, Roz became a client and I, I helped facilitate several of the, um, the board of directors strategic retreats over the years, um, went, you know, helped to, um, moderate several of the panels that GWBC had. So became very involved in the events and, um, you know, the awards programs that they have and the, the networking programs and the, um, spoke at a couple of events. Um, so, um, presenting uh, sort of knowledge to others as well. Um, so I've stayed very involved. It's not, it's not worth getting involved. To me, if you're going to do something, do it all the way, mm-hmm. right? And so...
2: So that's good advice for the entrepreneur that's just starting out or maybe at the earlier in their life cycle. Right. And people right? who
0: think, oh, I'm going to go get my WBE certification and then my phone's going to start ringing. And then I'm done. And right? I'm <laughs> going to have all of these corporate contracts that are just, worth gazillions of dollars. Right. Like, that's no, that's not how it works, right? right. You have to get your certification. And stay involved and meet and network and get involved and prove your value and, and, and. It's not this magic potion. Now, how long did
2: it take for you until you were seeing some results where, hey, this is going to kind of lead me to the promised land?
0: Um, with ISH, ISHR? um, I would say a couple of years to Deb's point, right? There's that building that relationship, mm-hmm. meeting people. There's and
2: showing you're going to show up, you know, proving that you're not because everybody, the first day it all looks enthusiastic and it looks like, you know, you can't, there's tell. that
0: staying power. Right. And, and, mm-hmm. and there's, I also think there's that building relationship, right? Once you sort of know someone and you recognize a face, the second time, you know, their name, the third time you ask how their kids are the fourth time you're going to go vouch for them for someone else. Like there's, right. there's that relationship building. So ISHR I would say took a little bit. Um, with contender brands, um, and again, we're sort of in the midst of the the arduous process right now, but um, have already been reaching out and talking to some folks telling them we're about to get certified, and I'm already starting to see some um, upside there. so that that might have much quicker
2: because you've already laid a foundation for
0: yeah, that, that may have a
2: quicker turnaround. And then and again, that's great advice. It's not just paying the dues and showing up occasionally, it's getting involved in committees and volunteering. And showing, you know, kind of demonstrating your work ethic and your value and your skills in real life situations, not kind of these hypotheticals. That's exactly right.
1: You know, so it's the same as, you know, your degree, right? When you get your college degree, how often did your phone ring? Right. It's it's not like you were, (laughs) you know, it was sitting up there on the, you know, that's they call that sheepskin sitting on the wall. But you had to activate that. You had to go out and do the lead generation in order to hopefully get the interviews in order to get the job. And so it's the same thing with, you know, growing your business and scaling your business. You really are going to have to put sweat equity into this. What you put in
0: relates to what you get out, for sure.
2: Now, in your career, you work a lot with larger institutions, larger enterprises. Um, Have you had a mentor, mentee, Opportunity there? What did somebody mentor you, or have you had a chance to mentor other I've, people?
0: Both, absolutely. I I firmly believe in mentoring and being mentored as well. And I can think back to several people in my in my corporate career uh, before I even launched out um, to being an entrepreneur who have been instrumental in my development. And I've very definitely tried to pass that forward. And there's several younger women, you know, that I could would consider my mentees that I've sort of helped and. Try to get them moving forward in their careers successfully as well.
2: Now, what's some advice for the younger entrepreneur?
0: Oh, one of my favorite lines is what's the worst that can happen, right? I think so many people are scared and they, they think about something, they think about all the negative things or all the, the no's they're going to hear. And it's my favorite line. What's the worst that can happen? Someone mm-hmm. says, no. Okay. Right. Did it hurt? No. All right. Move on. Right. Cause I don't think people step out of that, step out of the nest enough and, and aren't willing to take risks as much because they're scared of the consequences what's the worst that can happen
2: yeah that's what when i'm mentoring younger people um i find that the they kind of imagine this gatekeeper that's preventing them from their dreams when the gatekeeper is them right they're the the first gatekeeper (laughs) they're not even trying you know they're afraid to take that risk and and putting themselves out there and being vulnerable right
0: right exactly i was telling a story before we went live on air here um My daughter just applied for a fall internship at a major corporation and she looked at the job spec and she's not fully qualified. She meets some of them, but not fully. And so she's like, You know, hey, mom, what do you think? And I immediately said, You know what I'm going to say. Go for it. And she said, What's the worst that can happen? (laughs) I said, Exactly. You've spent a few minutes. Right. What's they can say no? What's the best that can happen? Don't say no first. Exactly. Exactly.
2: (laughs) So now, uh, Roz, is that something you helped? Is there some opportunity to mentor the younger people to give them kind of some of the skills? Is there kind of a learning opportunity for the kind of pre-entrepreneur? Or is this for only people that have already kind of taken the risk and it became an entrepreneur?
1: Well, basically, yes, because of the information we're asking for. Yeah, you do need to have all of these documents, right. you know, in place of your business structured. You know, so, you know, we talk about micro enterprises, you know, and then also looking at who our corporations are. They, you know, in those contracts, those you got to be able to have your business scalable and to be able to, to manage that. that, right? Right. And, you know, Deb alluded to some of that, you know, about strategic sourcing and how they're uh, ratcheting down their supplier base. But in the supply chain, that's one thing you want to keep in mind is the fact there's money in every level. So it doesn't matter. You don't have to be the prime supplier, you know, to a major corporation. You can be a supplier of the prime supplier, which actually gives you more visibility. That's mm -hmm. the, you know, best kept secret because now you have visibility to, to all of their customers. So, And you can step out. You can be first tier and second tier at the same time. You know, so for the young people too. you know, to your point of this question, we have, believe it or not, when our organization called NextGen and NextGen is where we do focus on the young woman entrepreneur of helping her and scaling her, Uh, because one of the things you got to think about generationally, the current successful woman owned business Nine times out of 10 may have come out of corporate, so kind of has that, you know, foundation and background and structure where today's young entrepreneur, they're saying, I don't want to work for a corporation. I want to track my own path of success, yet they still need some infrastructure. They still need some guiding principles Mm -hmm. in order for them to be successful, you know, because they're very disruptive, right? Which is great. That's what you want. And impatient. And yes, and impatient. But you know what? Um, Life always teach you patience. You know, so that's just just live, right? Whether you want it or not, it's going to teach you that patience, or experience is going to do that. And those knows make sure they're educated. Knows is what I always say. But we do, we do focus on the next gen. As a matter of fact, we're just coming off the heels of our national conference that we held in Baltimore. And each year we invite numerous women businesses, young women entrepreneurs out of college. And it's amazing some of their products and services. And we have a contest and they literally present. And once again, it's amazing. They are mentored and they're paired. They're paired with a woman owned business and they're paired with a corporate member at this conference, because once again, we want to work and give them that infrastructure, but we're getting ready to do something. Believe it or not, we're going to, Throw the dart a little further into the future where we now are developing another program, believe it or not, where we're reaching all the way back to eighth grade. Wow. Yes. And identifying young entrepreneurs at that stage. And that just doesn't include young girls. That also includes um, young boys as well. It's called Planet Mogul. And we launched that, you know, last year. And so that is also, and again, it is amazing what these young ideas are coming up with for the future. And literally, that's going to affect our lifestyles. Roz,
3: excuse me. I I
1: just wanted to interject this.
3: Uh, I attended the national conference, and I believe the contest they had for the elevator pitches for the entrepreneurs the winner if
2: i'm not mistaken was 16 wow <laughs> yes. wow that's encouraging yes. you know it's it's one of those it's a mindset i think more than anything and um monique you could probably speak to this is you have to change how you think when you're a small business person right like you can't be held back by all these constraints you have to believe that it's possible or else you're not going to even try
0: i think you have to have an insatiable insatiable curiosity a willingness to step outside your comfort zone, a willingness to take massive risks. Mm-hmm. So, right? so before I became this entrepreneur and launched these companies, I worked for very, very corporate-y America. Right. Right? And when I left and started ISHR and now Contender, right? I am the CFO, I am the CMO, I am the CIO. I am, I mean- You know, you have to figure it out, and then to Roz's point, there's all these great resources available. You don't have to do it on your own. Right. And ultimately, you have to figure it out. So there's that curiosity that has to happen, and again, there's that stepping out of the nest and taking that risk, right? So many people have great product ideas. So many people watch Shark Tank every week, and they've got their product, and they fantasize about how they're going to be on Shark Tank, but they never take that first step of going and designing it. So there's that that comfort with risk piece as well. Right. And then
2: do you think that that's something that can be taught at a young age, that you can kind of let the younger people kind of skin their knee and see that they're okay at the end of the day? Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. I mean, we kids take more risks than than anyone, right? They're the ones that are on the top of the tree. Look, mom, I'm going to be Superman and jump <laughs> right. out, right? But I think life sort of tampers some of that as as, you know we get older and and there's really no reason it should.
2: Right. we got to kind of encourage more of that. Now, how did the, the authoring come into play? When did, when did you oh, start? that's in the
0: midst of all this. That's in between, <laughs> um, ICHR and contender. Um, that came from, from life sort of happening. Um, and I actually went through a divorce and, um, found that people started calling me asking for advice, people I didn't know. Um, and one thing led to another and um, a fellow um, WBE uh, person recommended, she's an author, and she said, why don't you write a book about it? And I said, I've never written a book in my life. And so wrote that book, wrote a second book. Um, That's then, again, it's taking opportunities where they come up and being curious. Um, I'm now remarried. Um, Justin and I, uh, he's bonus dad to my two kids. So a couple of years ago, we thought, well, let's write a children's book about what it means to be a bonus mom and bonus Mm -hmm. dad, you know, stepdad, stepmom. We'd never done that before, but we figured out how to go find an illustrator. We figured out how to find, you know, publisher of a children's book, which is different. So um, it just, a, a curiosity and wondering, Hey, if, can we make this happen? We have an idea.
2: But it's also taking action. Yes. Like it's one thing to be curious and then just say, Oh, that'd be nice. You yeah. know, future me, will do this.
0: No, and that's then, the point. Right? You've got to, you've got to have that idea and do something with it. You've right. You know, not just think about it, but do. Yeah.
2: Now, are there, um, examples you're willing to share of, you know, taking one of these shots and then it exploding and go, Oh, well, well. I'm not saying it's a failure. I'm just saying it's a learning opportunity like to not do that anymore.
0: Yeah, that's funny. Years ago, someone asked me in an interview, tell me about your biggest failure. And I, my response was, I don't know that anything's right. been a failure. I don't, failure. I don't think failure. that way. Right. I think as, as a learning ex- opportunity. That's exactly what I said.
1: Oh, you should always just fail forward. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: exactly. Uh, there's been, you know, um, with Contender Brands, several stops and starts um, there's been, you know, we'll start down a path and, and, you know, make a big investment of time and energy and money. And we'll realize, Ooh, that's, that's not going to work. And so we've got to take a couple steps back. So in some respects, is that a failure? Absolutely. We've wasted time. We've wasted money. On the other hand, we learned so much from that. And when we redirected and then got back on the right path, the right path is so much better. Um, I can think of the same examples with an ISHR group, you know, started a, a sort of a, uh, I won't call it a side business, another service line, if you will, um, started going down that path, realized it wasn't the right path for us. Was it a failure? We'd invested time and money, redirected back. So again, if you look at them as failures, I think it, it scares you from trying new things in the future. But if you look at them as learning opportunities and you realize how much you've grown from them, then they're all things to be... Um, to really cultivate. Right. Mean, not that you want to purposely go out and fail, but that's where we learn.
2: But the, the success is, is when you are taking risks. If you're not taking a risk where there is a chance that it may not work out, then it's going to be hard to move forward. Exactly. And it's like De- uh, Deb said earlier, like there was a company that battled for years and years and years to become this overnight success, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> But the public doesn't see the the struggle and the pain. They just see, oh, look at those people who are millionaires now. Yeah, I want to be a millionaire. Like they don't see the kind of all the leading up to.
0: Sarah Blakely posted on her LinkedIn page yesterday the iceberg picture. And above the iceberg was... Wildly successful. Wow, that was easy. And then underneath the iceberg was the pain, the cost, the sleepless nights, the worry, the investment, all that stuff. And and I just thought that was so appropriate for Mm – and it's appropriate for this whole conversation. Like people see the top of the iceberg, but they have no idea – all the the work to get certified, the work over the many, many years to build the relationships, the work to make sure that your IOI and your value proposition is where it needs to be. It's all that underneath the iceberg that's so critical. You
3: know, know, the other thing is just risk. You take
0: on so much risk
3: that, I mean, I think that entrepreneurs are rock stars because you are the CFO and the CIO and the president. You know, you wear so many different hats. Whereas the corporate, I know that every two weeks I, I get a paycheck and I have my benefits. So, you know, my hats off to you and all the WBE WBEs that you do it. You're rock stars. You provide jobs for, you know, for the country. Right. So thank you.
0: Thank you. And thanks to organizations like GWC and the corporates that value this certification. I mean, it really is. Now we're making a little love fest, but it really takes all of those relationships, (laughs) right, to make it work.
1: Um, It really does. Yes. But it's building just a stronger ecosystem, Mm -hmm. right, of engaging small businesses, you know, in to understand and having someone that understands what you're going through. That's the other, you know, component of this, that you're not in it alone. You're you have plenty of company and plenty of stories, you know, that, you know, can tell. I saw on a marquee there have been enough mistakes made that you don't have to create new ones. You know, so learn (laughs) from some of these other mistakes that have been made by talking and engaging. And that is something That I will say is an added bonus with our organization is our women businesses share with each other, you know, because they mentor each other. They're there for each other. And that's key and important, too. Now, don't get me wrong. They compete (laughs) if they're in the same space. But overall, but they also partner. Because right. there's an opportunity for them to partner as well in order to win contracts. And then really
2: successful businesses know that it's there's a big pie out there and it's a collaboration and everybody wins. And um, if you just sit there, be a good person, help, be helpful, be generous, that's going to come back.
1: So you're talking about paying it forward, right? Well, we try to pay it forward
2: (laughs) and tell these stories because these stories are the important stories because small to mid-sized businesses, they're the heart of most communities. That's where the work is getting done. They're the ones hiring the people. The large corporations are super important, but there's a lot more small uh, organizations out there battling and, you know, getting that one, making one employee, two employees and 40 employees, 80 employees. Multiple times, you know, there's only a handful of big, large enterprises, but there's what, how many small businesses you said? Well, hundreds of thousands, millions.
1: Right. (laughs) Well, you know, because 98% of the businesses in this country are small. Right. Right. And so 2%, what does to say, that leaves that for the major corporations. However, yes, they rule in a (laughs) sense, but they can't do it. Without the small. So we need each other. This is not, you know, you're able to do this alone to your point. There is reciprocity that takes place. You're creating your consumer base. And the way you create your consumer base is by engaging these small businesses in your supply chain.
2: Right. Small businesses like ISHR and Contender Brands. Uh, Monique, if people want to get a hold of you, what are the coordinates?
0: Absolutely. So ishrgroup.com for our executive assessment and development programming and contenderbrands.com if anyone's looking for conversation starter card games or a portable ring cleaner called Ringo.
2: (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story today. Thank you. Absolutely. And Roz, if somebody wants to get involved with GWBC, what's the website or any events coming up?
1: Oh, yes. So we are, um, have a major event that's coming up on August 26th and 27th. On 26th is our golf tournament. Now, you need to be certified as a woman-owned business to participate in this. And for women out there making this statement who don't play golf, This has been the best kept secret that men have been doing for years (laughs) where they get out there on the golf course and negotiate deals. So here's an opportunity for you to spend time with a corporate member or even another WBE who may be looking for a supplier to build a relationship over four or five hours. But then if golf is really not your thing then how about coming to our Power Partnering Marketplace on the 27th that's going to be held at the Gwinnett Energy Forum, and that is from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. We have a keynote speaker, wonderful keynote speaker. Her name is Sean Duperon, who's being sponsored by GM, believe it or not. And here are both of our guests, have backgrounds with them. Um, and she is going to, believe it or not, talk about the apology that you never heard and that you deserved as a leader. And so that is something that we're going to be focused on along with one of the biggest challenges for women businesses, believe it or not is access to capital. And so we're going to be focused on that. And, you know, cash is queen, you know, say cash is king, but we say cash is queen. So we are hoping that you will join us on the 27th, you can visit our website at www.gwbc.biz for more information, not only about this event, but other information about our programs, how to get certified and get engaged with our organization.
2: Well, Roz, thank you so much for putting this episode together and we look forward to the continuing conversations to grow
1: your business. Well, thank you, Lee. I really appreciate it. Can I leave the audience with just one parting thought? Absolutely. And that parting thought is your smile is your logo. Your personality is your business card. How you leave others after having an experience with you is going to be your trademark. So thank you so much and make it an amazing day. All right. This is Lee Canter for Stone Paint, And we will see you all next time on Greater Women's Business
2: Council Radio.